Welcome to the WRSU Crew, the revolutionary show to hear all things sports, from your very own Rutgers Athletics to the hot topics in all professional and collegiate sports from around the globe, coming to you from your own Rutgers students. Sit back, relax, and enjoy your ride with the crew. It's that time again, this time on a Wednesday evening past the 6 o'clock hour, it's time for the WRSU Crew on 88.7 WRSU-FM New Brunswick, also online at WRSU.org. I'm Alex Carbonati, Max Sanchez, Jake Maystell. Gentlemen, great to be with you here. We're in the middle of the week, and Rutgers men's basketball, we've been talking about it last night and Monday, tough loss to Seton Hall, really tough loss to Ohio State out in Columbus their, their last two games. That all follows a historic win versus Indiana yet again at Jersey Mike's Arena. Next time the Skull Knights do battle, this, this Saturday, 12 o'clock Eastern at Jersey Mike's, they do battle with Wake Forest ACC Power 5 team. We look, at, we look at the Skull Knights right now, and there are a lot of questions going in, especially following the really, really bad loss of Seton Hall, 45-43, this past Sunday night at Jersey Mike's Arena. The defense was great. The offense was abysmal. From where we are right now, we're now at the halfway point of the week. We're almost towards this matchup. Max, I'll start with you. Where does Rutgers men's basketball have to go? How do they get prepared for Wake Forest, and how big of a contest is this for them to beat Wake Forest on Saturday? Well, Carm, one of the biggest things we got to pay attention to is Cliff Amore. A lot of the times in the last three games, four games, if we want to talk about, he's had a lot of foul trouble in yeah. the first five minutes of the game. We're yeah. talking two fouls, and he's, Steve Pike has to take him out. And that's a huge issue to lose your 6'11 center, your only practical big man that's at like high, highest height on the team. Yeah, It's, it's an issue. It can become a huge problem. I mean, there's been there's been times where Rutgers like benefit not benefited, but they didn't really struggle as much as we would assume. But it still helps to have your big man down oh, low, yeah. you know, dunking, grabbing rebounds in the paint. That we need we we need Cliff Amore to stay out of foul trouble in order to for the Scarlet Knights to succeed. Hold on a minute. We, we have a bunch of jokers joining the show right now. Oh boy, here we go. We got Ed the Shake Man, what a bunch of jokers. And Dylan Allen. What are you guys doing here? Carm, clean shaven. Looking yes. good. Yes, why, thank you. Let's thank go, Carm. Thank you very much. Looking good. How can we help you, gentlemen? Why is this chair so low? I um, don't know, but how can we help you? Uh, nothing much. You know, we just finished a 14-minute class, so I 14 figured... 14 minutes? Lovely. Yes. Okay, we got to hear the story on this one. Well, it was our last class of the semester for broadcast writing and reporting, and With, she just... Uh, uh, Erica Hurst Yeah. yeah. And all, all we had to do was go over the final project, which is like writing a new script. So 15 minutes, we're done, we're out. So I was like, you know what? I know there's only... Three people here, so I'll pull up. You know what? From 15 minutes to have you jokers join us, that's great. Thanks so much for joining us. You're we welcome. got Ed the Shed Kalegi. We got the assistant sports director, DA, Mr. DA himself, Dylan Allen. We got Jake the Snake Maystell. Max, I'll work on center for you. Don't worry, pal. All right, no problem. No rush. Max Sanchez. <laughs> no rush. <laughs> and yeah, no rush. <laughs> and now, for now at least. Clean, clean shave and calm. I like the look. I like the look. Oh, I thank you. I do like the look. But we're talking Rutgers men's basketball. We've been talking about that Monday and Tuesday, especially following that really bad loss versus Seton Hall. Eddie and I talked a lot about it on uh, Tuesday's crew last night. Giddy and I talked about it all, along with Arnoff and Mo on Monday. Dennis was with me and Eddie last night. But we look at this game, Wake Forest. It's the final of this five-game stretch, guys. Eddie, I'll, I'll uh, pass things off to you now. When it comes to you know this team as a whole, Max mentioned a lot about Cliff Amari, and we've been talking about that throughout the entire week. Cliff needs a big bounce-back game here. When it comes to that as a whole, with his performance, how it goes, how he plays, what have you, how much of a factor can Cliff Amari alone play for what could happen this weekend? Well, when we saw the beginning of the season, Cliff Amore was really dominant, uh, especially offensively those first few games. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's got to try to get into a groove these next three games against Wake Forest and then two mid-majors. So he can be feeling good heading into Big Ten play because these last five, six games, he just really hasn't seemed his best out there. Right. And, you know, I'll, I'll change what I've said because I feel like I've, I've mentioned the same thing to Max on Nightline, and I talked about it yesterday about his rebounding. I'm going to focus more offensively with Cliff Amore because okay. I think that's important as well because yeah. we talked about yesterday how 
Rutgers without Geo and Ron are still trying to figure out who that scorer is going to be, and it's becoming more and more apparent that it might not be Cam Spencer. So if Cliff Amore can have more offensive production, that's going to be really important for them. So it's going to be interesting to see what he can do. If he can finish down low, because he's been hitting his mid-range shots, he's been hitting the occasional three, we know free throw shooting is going to be a problem, but he's had trouble just making shots in the paint and getting those shots up, even against people like Casey and Defa who are smaller than him. Right, right. No, I mean, yeah, that that that's so true. But you mentioned the point about who needs to be the big scorer. Dylan, John, uh, Joe Baker, Jacob Young, Ron Harper, Miles Johnson. Those are four guys you can rely on the past two years. Bang, bang, bang. No problem whatsoever. Most of the time. Now that that you don't have any of those guys on the roster in 2022, I think it's kind of a concern that that we might have to rely on a big guy like Cliff to be your top scorer, especially when you have Andre Hyatt. You're bringing Cam Spencer the way you did, and you're asking a lot from Paul Mulcahy and Caleb McConnell to fill in that time. So, you know, Cliff having him kind of be that backup option, I guess you could say, for being that top scorer, shows that really, you know, confusion, concern, and just overall desperation this team needs to find that scorer quickly. Yeah, and not to mention, whenever Cliff gets into foul trouble early in the game, it's like Rutgers doesn't know who to go to to, to score points. You, right. You've seen it in the past two games now, where early in the first half, Cliff has gone out with two fouls and has sat out most of the first half. Sure. The game against Ohio State, he only played three minutes in the first half. Wow. Uh, and then he came back in the second half and played. Same thing with Indiana. And, and, and exactly. So, and, and even in this game, you saw him kind of come out early. So, um, you know, that's an issue that Rutgers is having because you, you don't have the Geos, the Rons, to go to when that happens, when your right. center fouls out. Because it's like, okay, well, our second or third scorer now is sitting out, but our first and second are still here. Right. Now it's kind of like you view Cliff as your first or second option. If he's out, now you're looking at a potential, like, Havsey first option right. in whether it be Spencer, which over the last couple of games – Nowhere to be found. Like, doesn't seem like he is that option that we saw kind of the start of the year. All right. And so then you look around, and is it going to be Hyatt, a guy who's shooting you 37% from the floor and 30, 30% from three? Not the greatest shooting numbers. Is he your best option when Cliff has to come off the he floor? He might have to be. He might have to thing. be, and, and that's the issue. And I think the nice thing, though, is Caleb McConnell, and we, we haven't really seen him be um, this good off, or at least put up these offensive numbers over the years. He's right. been really used as a defensive guy, but right now, through five games, he's at 10 points per game, sure. shooting 39% from the floor, so that's pretty good, and right. 33% from downtown is not bad either um, for Caleb, considering we haven't really seen much of an offensive output from him um, since being here. So seeing him kind of fill in is nice, and I think you're right. It adds a lot of pressure on guys like Mulcahy to create opportunities, and you saw it a bunch of times against Seton Hall. How many yeah. times did you see him or Caleb drive down the middle of the lane and then Seton Hall did an awesome job defensively to close it, and they're looking for someone to pass to midair, and they just kind of have to fling it, right, right. and it either goes off someone's leg, goes out of bounds, or it goes right into the lap of a Seton Hall player, and it's another turnover, which was another big part of that game. The turnovers were costly for Rutgers. Yeah. In a game where you give up, what was the final score? 46 40, points? 45-43. Right, so you gave up 45 points and you lose a game. The defense was outstanding for you, but Seton Hall one-upped you, played even better defense than you, and I think that's something that we haven't talked about a whole lot either. Uh, just Seton Hall, give them credit. They played an awesome defensive game. As much yeah. as we want to sit here and blame uh, Rutgers players for messing up, turning the ball over a whole lot. Well, Lackluster that starts, offense, right, right. That starts all with defense, and every single time you watch the, a possession in that game, Rutgers had very little open shots that entire game, and when they shot those open ones, I would say for the most part they hit on those. Right, right. The problem is they were playing the full-court press that Peichel loves to do in games. They were doing the same thing to us. It would take us nine seconds to get across midcourt. Then we would set up our plays. They'd have Cliff locked down, um, and they would kind of just plug the passing lanes, uh -huh. like just clog it up, right. and there was nowhere to go with the ball. So you saw a lot of trying, like fancy passes from Mulcahy that would be uh, turnovers, and no one was liking those. Well, it's I think it's a lot of credit to Seton Hall's defense because, I mean, they gave up 43 points to us, an offense at home that's been really good. Um, and you put up Pike 63 the weekend before against top 10 Indiana at that time. Right. And you still play that awesome defense, hold your opponent under 50. So mm -hmm. it was really, I think, the difference of this game was the Seton Hall defense. Uh, as much as we want to sit here and talk about how Rutgers messed up, I think it was just, I think it was more of a, a good job from Seton Hall. I think that was their game plan. Right. They know it's a tough building to win in. They know it's going to be a defensive game. And they know that they have to out-defend us 
against them, against Rutgers to beat us, and that's what happened. So to your point about finding uh, that second option to go back to where we started, yeah, it'll be tough if, if other teams can kind of watch what Seton Hall did defensively and kind of copycat that idea uh, of running – I believe it was a was it a zone defense, Eddie? You called in on Nightline and mentioned this. Yeah, you? I talked about this last night too. So what I have noticed is that there were two games where Rutgers faced man defense the entire time. It was Temple and it was Seton Hall, and right. they went 0-2 in those games. Mm-hmm. And what you were just talking about, those were a lot of the problem. That's that's the reason they ran into trouble because when you and this actually kind of circles back to the Cliff Amori thing as well because if Cliff is struggling against people smaller than him there's not necessarily a mismatch there and if you're in a situation like Seton Hall was where there's not necessarily a mismatch they can go man-to-man rather than zone and I I personally I'm more of a fan of man-to-man defense because in the style of basketball that's played now it prevents open kickout threes for the most part and it prevents people from driving down the lane. And Rutgers couldn't do that. And that's why Paul Mulcahy, every possession, was forced to the corner. And then he either had to try to back in against his defender or try to force a pass. And seriously, other than some contested makes from Caleb McConnell and getting it out to the corner for Andre Hyatt for a three, that was pretty much the extent of Rutgers' offense the whole game. No, it's true. And Jake, you know, we look at this team in this portion. It's the middle of the week. The game is Saturday coming off two really tough losses and we saw that really tough loss to Ohio State and the way they rebounded that of course was Seton Hall now that they're coming off this loss to Seton Hall how can we see them rebound against Wake Forest how do they have to rebound too well I think one of the things that needs to happen we I know we talked about Cliff Amore already he needs to do a little bit better but I think one of the things I'm noticing from Cliff Amore is that he's playing kind of scared in the second half and what I mean by that is you know how he goes out there and in the first half he's been getting into some foul trouble. Then he goes out there and he doesn't really play quite as aggressively in the second half in order to try and you know kind of play it safe, not accrue as many fouls. He doesn't want to harm the team sure. in that way. But it's causing some problems for Rutgers because they are they're having trouble with When they're having trouble scoring in the second half, they need to be able to have a guy that they can rely on underneath the net who's going to make that aggressive push to the basket, make that dunk, make that poster layup. He just can't do that when he's playing that way. And I understand, you know, they play a very physical style of basketball, so they're going to accrue a lot of fouls as a team regardless. And especially for the big man... You know, he's going to get a lot of fouls just for being a big man. But they he needs to be a little more aggressive. And they just as a whole need to be a little more aggressive. And one of the ways that you beat man-to-man defense, and this is not just in basketball. This is in really any sport that has that kind of defense. Is right. that if, the, if they're kind of if, – if you're having trouble against man-to-man defense, you got to create that separation and you got to be aggressive because – you can't let them bully you. If you let them bully you then and you start playing it too safe, then you're not going to get those open, those openings to score and you're just not going to get any openings on the court to pass to your teammates, which is exactly what happened to Rutgers in the second half. So when it comes to playing against Wake Forest, if they come out there with a man defense scheme, mm-hmm. they just need to put the pedal in the metal and really try to jam the ball down their throats. And my thing is, at, you know... As a whole this year, we've seen team-oriented basketball from this squad. And that is what that is what has won them games. They've won, and again, it might be mid-majors or teams nowhere close to Power 5, but the team-oriented play has won them six games that they have this season. And, you know, when they're going all over the place, one of those wins, again, versus a top-10 team in the country at that time, when you're going all over, when you're contributing, when you have lots of pieces to work together to fit that puzzle. I think we might have to see more players like, like a Derek Simpson or someone like a Antoine Wolfork or someone like that who might have to fill in time if Cliff continues to struggle, if Cam Spencer's found nowhere to be, if Andre Hyatt can't make the shots, and if and if you have to rely too much on Paul Mulcahy and Caleb McConnell's defense. So Max, at the en- end of the day, we see this team right now, yes, it still might be team-oriented, but you're going to have to rely on a lot of guys who are freshmen and who don't have little to no experience whatsoever in playing in these big games so far. And they've played in big games versus Indiana, but that's one win. 
You can't base it off one win, obviously. My thing is, again, is that when you have these guys struggling and these top players who have played in Big Ten play, who have played versus several top five power five teams throughout the country, even top five teams in the country altogether, uh, you know, and they're struggling, who's your backfall? And your backfall right now are these freshmen who have little to no experience. No, I agree. And um, someone had mentioned this on Nightline before about putting Derek Simpson in a little longer, giving him more minutes. And I actually agree on that. All right, Rutgers. Rutgers is looking. Rutgers needs to look for like that go-ahead shooter, like oh, Geo yeah. Baker. Like yeah. just heave it. Right, right, right. See if you could get something going. I feel like Derek Simpson can possibly like be that for the Scarlet Knights. Sure. He's showed potential already in yeah. a few games, and you know he only got what three shots going nine minutes against the, the Seton Hall game. That's about right. So. We've seen what he can do. I think Pico needs to play him a little more, get him more than nine, nine, ten minutes. Yeah. You know, he's yes, he's a freshman. He's going to mess up. That's what freshmen do. He's not right. going to be like some uh, diaper dandy, like Dick Vitale says. Right. It, it, we need to see his improvement. We need to give him more minutes and see how he can improve throughout. He's here for the long run, and we need to, it, we need to like see what he can do in terms of scoring in that right. sense. Right. I, I th- well, I think you got a, a little bit of a preview with that in the Indiana game. I you think did. It, I think it was Derek Simpson played the entirety of the second half, mm-hmm. and Cam Spencer sat the whole second half. Um, and I think it was because of his defensive output. Now, you're seeing, I mean, listen, as a freshman, Derek Simpson playing 22 minutes a game. That's pretty damn good for a, for a freshman guard, especially where there's a lot of guards that can play on this team. you got Cam Spencer, McConnell, Mulcahy. They're finding ways to get him, in, they're finding ways to get him involved. Um the problem is his offensive numbers have not been that great this year, and I know he's a freshman, but I, I think that's probably the reason why they have Cam out there as much as they do because he's the guy they go to for the offensive output right sure. now. I mean, still, despite Cam Spencer struggling over the last couple of games, he's still shooting 39% from three, which mm-hmm. is awesome, right. 47% or 46% from the floor. Um and over 95% from the line. But so it's he, not winning games. That's the problem. Right. I mean, it's not winning games, and you look at the last loss specifically – I, I, I credit that more towards the Seton Hall defense um, mm-hmm. locking up the Rutgers offense entirely. It wasn't right. just Cam Spencer who no, of course. couldn't figure it out. Of and then course. you look at the Ohio State game, and that's a game Rutgers should have won if the referees do their job. Oh, of so course. Right now, if, if if everything went to plan, Rutgers should have seven wins, and you could even argue um, you know, Rutgers Maybe eight, really. And even, you could argue Rutgers should have been given another opportunity to win the game against Seton Hall. Now, whether you want to sit here and say they played like crap, offensively and they wouldn't have won it you can sit here and say that but I think it's their right to get the opportunity if the guy stepped out of bounds with the ball and there's three four seconds left in the game I think it's their I think it's up to you know the referees have to make that call and give Rutgers a chance to win the game a a third fourth chance whatever it was but regardless of what you think if Rutgers would have ended up winning or not I think the rule is you step out of bounds with the ball it's the other team's ball so you have to make that call and if it's made Rutgers has four seconds to drop a play off an inbound get Cam Spencer maybe open for a two on the baseline we know they love to run that play so I mean listen that is something that needs to be called and we all know the Ohio State game I don't want to harp on that anymore it's almost a week old but that should have been a win for Rutgers so right right now you're looking at seven and three at the very least and let's say Rutgers you know goes their way with the call against Seton Hall and they make the shot or now they're eight and two right so and probably ranked so point is I don't think it lands on one lone person right now as term in terms of the team it's the team as a whole because right now it's we're losing close games and you saw at the end of the game too at least I did when leaving the student section Andre Hyatt was visibly frustrated and he was talking to McConnell and I think they were back and forth a little bit and and Pico kind of stepped in it wasn't anything too like too aggressive but you could you could visibly see Hyatt was frustrated and maybe it stemmed from the missed uh floater at the end of that game sure to 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 get the win, but let me ask you this: Dom. I think it's more of I think it's more of just late games. Right. They have to figure it out, sure. and I think they've done well for the thirty-nine minutes of that game. Right, and right. it comes down to that last minute where they have to figure it out. Right. They don't have those two closers like they did a year ago with right. Geo and Ron and to help them out, and and even two, three years ago too. Right. Let me ask you this: You were in Columbus. You were at that game when the whole situation happened, what have you. Right. When that took place, and from what we heard, the refs ran by, the game is over, good night, see you later, whatever. When you were there, right. when you were when that moment took place, did you did you notice anything specific by Rutgers regarding frustration or any emotions that really showed how frustrated they were? And when it comes to, you know, that that incident you mentioned between Hyde and McConnell could that have carried over specifically, something specifically, from the Ohio State game? I mean, we all can speculate, but that seems to be the case right now. Well, to answer your first question, so this is, it was tough. When I was 
so I was on the I was on the color for the second half of that game. Sure. Christian was calling it. So when when it was happening, we were looking at um, Thornton who had the ball. Sure. And he ended up passing it. We didn't. We weren't focusing on Holden. So we when he when he caught the ball, we thought he was inbounds. Sure. So we called it as 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 such. Of course. And it went in and yeah. all that happened. Now what was interesting was, as soon as the the bucket went in. The clock expired. Everyone's going bananas. Sure. You saw Peichel get angry with the referees. Okay. But he was pointing at the baseline um, on the far side, right in front of the scores table. He was pointing to where Thornton was. Okay. I think he was arguing that he stepped out of bounds with the ball before he passed it. Okay. And you saw the refs huddle up around uh, the scores table and the monitor for about 10 to 15 seconds, and then they went off the court. So they must have watched something, but it was quick. And they deemed that he was not out of bounds. Then that was it. That was the extent of it. Peichel thought that was it. It wasn't until Christian and I got to the car about 20 minutes after the game ended that we saw on Twitter that Holden was out of bounds before he got the ball. I see what you're saying. So my point is, Peichel, I don't even think in real time he, he didn't understand it the actual situation. He didn't realize it either mm. because he was arguing with the refs that Thornton was out of bounds. That's what the referees reviewed. Okay. And they were like, okay, that's it. Off the court. Because Peichel didn't question Holden. Had Peichel seen that, Right, if he saw that, that might have been something they reviewed, but they didn't. I don't think. Um, and the Thornton thing was very close. Like you could, you, you could argue sure. either side, but Holden was definitely out of bounds. Oh, sure. But again, I don't think Peichel saw. So Peichel got the wrong guy. Is that, is I, I just don't think say. he saw it because okay. he, if you watch it back, Holden had the or Thornton had the ball right in front of where Peichel was standing. So right. Peichel was actively watching him. Of course. And he thought he stepped out of bounds. And then I can guarantee you, as soon as he passed it, Peichel's like, oh, he stepped out. Let me let me rip this guy's ear off. And right. not even watching the rest of the play, or, you know, whatever. So I don't think he saw Holden, like the rest of us. We didn't pick up on yeah, it. No one yeah, no one was picking up on it. I mean, let's be honest. Probably all of the fans, the refs, the coaches, the other players. Nobody picked was, up on it. Everybody was focused on Thornton because right. he was the one with the ball double team. Sure. And I think most people assumed, oh, Holden just snuck by because the double team, he didn't step out of bounds. He was just right there and ready to go. But yeah, right, then right, people right. saw once they saw the replays. Right. No, I mean, it's 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 such a tricky situation. It's a it's a sad situation. But, but we look at where we're at now, and we look at this team especially. Two tough losses like that, you got to win this Saturday. They're... There are no excuses, Jake, for what happens for this team. And if you lose this game, this five-game stretch that we've been talking about a lot for the past few weeks, what have you, and this five-game stretch can make or break what happens with, with, with how they start Big Ten play and how they overall play throughout the season and possibly make that third straight March Madness appearance, this game is so crucial. If they drop four out of five in this five-game stretch, where do we go from there? It's... It's difficult to say exactly where they will go from there. The good thing about this is that they don't just jump straight into Big Ten play after this five-game stretch right. end. And they're still they home. They do get to play a couple of games at home against Bucknell and Coppin State, teams that they should probably blow out of the water. Uh-huh. But then they got to go on the road to number one Purdue. And unlike the last time we played a Purdue team that was ranked number one. We do not have the home court advantage. Right, and we right. do not have the legend of Ron Harper Jr. Right. there to make a clutch shot from half court. So, you know, I mean, it would, even with those two supposed freebies in the middle between this five-game stretch and the start of conference play, it's it would definitely put a damper on things. They would lose this game at home to Wake Forest because, I mean, consider this for the Rutgers Scarlet Knights, who this season have otherwise been really good at home. That sure. that loss to Seton Hall was their first home loss of the season because even though they were technically the home team against Temple, that was that was the basketball hall right, right, showcase. Right. They they weren't on the neutral site floor. really, yeah. Neutral site. Um they don't want to drop too straight at home. Against power five Again, against power, power five, five, power six teams. P- against power six teams, exactly. Especially when they're non-conference power six teams, because you expect to drop a home game or two against your big, big ten, ten rival. Big ten yeah, rival. Sure. That that's something that happens. You know, you played them twice a year. You, you're not going to win every single matchup, but you drop two in a row at home against one a Seton Hall team they absolutely should have beaten, and if they drop this against a Wake Forest team, they absolutely can beat. Then we're starting to talk about, is this going to be a lost season for Rutgers? Despite a good start, they started, what was it, 6-2? and two? 
I mean, that's a really that's good, about right. Yeah, that's a that's a really good start for them. They drop two in a row. It's not a disaster yet, but if they drop another and they go to six and five, yeah, if they win the next two, then they get to to eight and five. But that's still not a promising look going into conference play sure. because those losses then start to add up and. You know, I mean, you already have a loss in Big Ten Conference play, which should should not have happened, absolutely. You know, the refs are definitely responsible for that. But it's still a loss, none, regardless. You know, they, they're not going to overturn it after the fact. They did acknowledge it. So, you know, those losses then start to add up, and then your, your seeding for the Big Ten tournament gets worse, which then worsens your chances of making the NCAA tournament. Obviously, that's, a, that's way into the future now. But it's still... It's still things you have to consider because with this team, I mean, remember, their resume was shaky last year. Right. No, it was. They want to try mm -hmm. and avoid having that happen again. Well, the the thing is this. Let's say they lose to Wake Forest. And let's say they drop one of those games against Bucknell or Coppin State, whoever else, you know, whichever one you want to pick. That's not a great look following 2022 and entering 2023. And then... If you do, if that happens when they're eight and five or seven and six or what have you, and they start Big Ten play very very weak, whether they drop to Purdue, whether they somehow lose to Iowa, whether they get swept by Ohio State, whatever it may be, and Northwestern might not be a guarantee because they're on the road in Chicago for that game. So you look at that whole stretch, and also Maryland's top twenty-five now. So you look at that first those first five games of the Big Ten slate of the year, especially in January and so on, moving forward past January, um, that's not a great look either. So a lot of questions are going to be asked and how they're going to handle it. But now that we're at this midweek point of the uh, this week before this game against Wake Forest, your last Power 5 matchup before you kick off Big Ten play in 2023, this has got to be a win. And if you lose this game and you somehow crumble, this is going to be a could, – it could be – devastating possibly for what this team can do going forward. We'll see how it plays out. But the thing is this, you know, there's just there are so many things that that are going to impact how this game happens and you got to forget about the last two. Seton Hall loss, that loss definitely had an impact of the Ohio State loss. And at the end of the day, if Seton Hall's loss, that loss of Seton Hall sways into even some if even all of how Wake uh, of how they play versus Wake Forest this weekend, it's not going to be a good look. You cannot let the past creep in to what happens this Saturday. And if that's the case, the ship could be sunk. I agree with that, but I also feel like now that it's been, it'll have been more than a week since the Ohio State game. It'll have been almost a full week since the Seton Hall game. Right. I think we know Steve Peichel's a good coach. No, he is. I think he'll have straightened them out on that. Right. On that front, but obviously, as we talked about yesterday and as we've talked about in the first 30 minutes today, adjustments have to be made. I'm not particularly worried about Bucknell or Coppin State right, because right, Rutgers no. has played very well against the mid-majors. The only team that challenged them of the mid-majors was UMass Lowell, right. and it's becoming more and more obvious they're actually a really good team. Sure. So I, I think Rutgers is going to be fine with that. The challenge, and I, we touched on this a little last night. I want to kind of – maybe we could finish this segment with this. Okay. You know – they, they, the the out-of-conference resume is still much better than last year. No, it is, by, by a mile. Y you can acknowledge that. But at the same time, we know Geo Baker and Ron Harper Jr. aren't here anymore. And the reason they made the tournament last year is not because, oh, they escaped by the skin of their teeth despite having a really bad out-of-conference resume. It's because they picked up so many big wins in Big Ten play, including four straight against ranked teams. Right. As good as they might be in the Big Ten, as good as they've looked in the first two games, it's going to be extremely difficult to replicate that. So while the out-of-conference slate might not look as bad, whether depending on what happens over these last three games, it's going to be hard for them to have a Big Ten resume that looks as good as they had last year, and that's what challenges them with the you know tournament path going forward. No, it is. And again, before we do go to break, you know they won those four straight games against top 25 teams, that was a great stretch for the team. But you can't base your whole season based on one week and one stretch. It's got to be consistent, very consistent, against the mid-majors and especially Power 5 teams in this five-game stretch that we've been talking about, Power 5, Power 6. If you lose four of the five, you know, that's, that's not a great look, but we'll see how it goes out going forward. With that, we'll step aside when we return. Locks of the week. I guarantee something's going to happen. We all guarantee something will happen, either tonight 
for the rest of this week. Keep it tuned. Wednesday crew on 88.7 WRSU FM New Brunswick, also online at WRSU.org. Locks of the week, locks of the week, locks of the week on the Wednesday crew on WRSU FM New Brunswick, 88.7 FM, also online at WRSU.org. Jake Maystell, Max Sanchez, Dylan Allen, Eddie Kalegi, I'm Alex Carbonati. Gentlemen, what do we have? Who wants to kick us off? Uh, I've actually uh, got a fun lock. Okay. Oh, okay. Yes. I was going to go first, but you go ahead, Eddie. Well, mine doesn't involve professional sports or any sort of organized sports Ooh. whatsoever, which means so oh my. Uh, there is a WRSU sports meeting tonight, and I know after that some of us are going to uh, College Ave Gym to hoop. And uh, <laughs> I, 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 oh, I, I had a rough performance last week when we went. but I played great. Y- I, did I will admit. You have gotten better finishing oh. down low. Oh, I thank you. You're welcome. I thank you. But my Mark Messier guarantee <laughs> is that I will hit a shot in a game with Ellis Gordon as my primary defender at some point tonight. Ooh, I like that. All righty. I, you I, guarantee, I like, like Mark Messier guaranteed on May 25th, 1994? You got the date now? I do. I do have the date now. <laughs> He's I, evolved. I it's, it's, it, we're getting more and more. But we're, we're getting more and more with it. And Where was it that he guaranteed? It's a good question. <laughs> That's but I next. know he guaranteed it to the New York Post. That was the paper. That's what I know. Oh my God. But Eddie Boy, you're on. You guarantee. Like Mark Messier guaranteed in 1994. I'm going to hold you accountable to that. All right. My lock hit last night, by the way. I said the Sixers were going to cover four and go beyond that against the Kings. Oh, they beautiful. lit them up by 20 points. Oh, so very nice. I am seven and six for the semester. So even if this goes poorly, I'll at least finish 500 this semester, which is much more than the first two. So I'm happy. Are you next, Jake the Snake? Yes, I am next. And I also have a guarantee of sorts. And this one, this one's a little more interesting. You know, you, you, you boys could have your Mark Messier guarantees, and that's all great. But for me, it was January of the year 1969. Oh, uh, Broadway Joe. Here we go. Joe Namath was asked by the press. Take it easy, Max. You I'm know, a Jets fan. I love how he this. felt about his chances of the underdog New York Jets going to the Super Bowl against the Indianapolis Colts, who it, going in that game were Baltimore. It was uh, Baltimore Colts. Baltimore Colts. See, NFL history is complicated. Um, <laughs> and he he expressed, even though the Jets were huge underdogs, he said they he guaranteed the Jets will win the Super Bowl. What did they do? On January 12th, 1969, in the Orange Bowl, they beat the Baltimore Colts 16-7, the first AFC team to ever win a Super Bowl, biggest upset in terms of point spread in the Super Bowl history. I'm going to make a Joe Namath. Oh, my. I love how you're doing this with a giant hat on. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great catch. Yes, I am doing this with a Giants hat on. I don't have a Jets hat, so forgive me. I think you're better That's off. Okay. Uh, Excuse me. <laughs> um, you heard me. I'm going to guarantee, like Joe Namath guaranteed in 1969, that the Louisville Cardinals men's basketball team oh my. will lose tonight against Western Kentucky University. Epitome of brutality. Yes. Well, you see, the funny thing about this Louisville Cardinals basketball team they are 0-9. They're still winless? Yes, they are wow. still winless to start the year, and that's not about to change. They're going to go 0-10 for 10 after tonight because Western Kentucky comes into this game 8-1. and They've done nothing but win, 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 especially over their last five. They've been dominant. Just because it's a Joe Namath guarantee, watch him fall like a cheap suit. Just gonna say the Jets won that Super Bowl call. And, Super and Bowl the Jets three. won that Super and Bowl. And they haven't won since. They haven't been there since. Hey, <laughs> hey, hey! You know what? They still have a perfect record in the Super Bowl, they which do. is better than than uh, the I Giants think, or the Packers. I think the Giants, well, hey, hey, Packers, now, we're, we're or four and one. Eagles. We're four we've and got one. Giants, Packers, and Eagles. Oh, hang on, right. we're, we're four, four and two. Four and one. I think you'll take that over one and zero. Oh. 
any day of the week. I, I don't oh, know, of Max, course, of course. Think? As a Jets fan, I'll take my one Super Bowl because there's a there's a plenty of NFL teams that don't even have one chip. So I'll True. take what I can get. See, I'll take mine as an Eagle fan because at least I saw it. You guys were like negative thirty. <laughs> when they won well, the correction. Yeah, that's what I'm gonna say. You know, negative forty four. I think. That's what I'm gonna say. You can, you could talk about that championship, but I mean, you can't really like connect yeah, you can't. to it. You can say I you can. you can say you won Super Bowl three, but yeah. you haven't witnessed it. It's in my heart it's that we heart. won it. Anyway, anyway, the, the that's where the it's going to be. Cardinals, you're, you're not going to be alive to see another one. Louisville <laughs> Cardinals men's basketball team. They are losing tonight. Joe Namath guarantee, Mark Messier guarantee, if you will, whatever other guarantee you want. He's kind of stealing your flow there, Alex. Well, you know what? The whole Mark Messier bit. <laughs> Here's the deal, though. Mark Messier. <laughs> was a real champion, a six-time Stanley Cup champion. I'll give Broadway Joe his credit, but if you take away that, Broadway Joe's your average Joe, no pun intended. He is. He's your average Joe. And Joe Namath had a losing record career-wise, too, keep in mind. He has a losing record career-wise. Nick then, Foles is better. I just Probably. Wanna, I, just, I just want to say, I just want to say, Eli Manning should be first battle Hall of Famer based on that alone. He, oh. No, you, yeah, he should be. You want to talk about Forrest Gump? <laughs> Eli <laughs> Manning is the Forrest Gump of football. Well, then he is Forrest the Gump's luckiest in the hall of son fame. of a gun to play the game. Well, then that's he's not, in the Hall of Fame. That's not a nice thing to say about a man who's actually pretty smart, but okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> then Forrest Gump's in the Hall of Fame, I guess. I guess. First ballot. Yeah. Hey, he should be. Legend. He should be. I'm with you. Legend. I'm with <laughs> you. I'm an Eagle fan. I agree. See, there you go. <laughs> that's how you know. Incredible. Who's next? Max? Yeah. Oh, you're, you're not going to finish your Mark Messier bit? I'm getting there. You're going to save it? Okay. okay. I'll I'll let you go, we'll let okay. you go last. I'll go next. I'll go after Max. That's how it works out. All right, So you, you said Mark Messier has six championships, right? Yeah. Okay, well, I got a champion for you, too. Who? In 1998, Michael Jordan. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> predicted. Yeah, I'm going to placate off of this for the rest of my life, I believe you? You're the one who said it for 20 times. I'm the one who started it. Michael Jordan, the GOAT of basketball. Yes, you're right on that. The GOAT. I will agree on you. Not LeBron? LeBron's a clown. All right. LeBron James. In 1998, Michael Jordan, I believe in the Eastern Conference Finals, predicted after a loss to the Indiana Pacers sure. that they would win Game 7. They, in fact, won Game 7 to it. go on to win the 1998 NBA Finals against the Utah Jazz. Yep. Just like how Michael Jordan predicted that win to go on to win the Finals, I predict that Steph Curry will go over his four and a half threes today against the same Indiana Pacers. I like that. I like that. So, 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 so you copycats are gonna copy I my steal. I will not steal. copy you. I will not copy you. What, what a good man. Yeah, thank you. All um, right, Da, what do you got? So first off, I gotta say that when you said LeBron's a clown, that should be a hot key. I should be. I'll a tell Gideon. You kidding me? <laughs> should be a freaking promo at this point. <laughs> you can always make one, Carm. I should. No, yeah, right. you should. You love I'll, making them. So. I'll, I'll, I'll talk to, uh, to the to uh, the, the boss, boss the I'll, captain. Coach okay. background, just thirty yeah. seconds about LeBron. LeBron's a yeah, clown. LeBron's a clown. Le clown James. Le clown James. He's a clown. Yeah, He's there a clown. You there you go. There you go. So you just keep listing off some of his names. Game. There you go. Um, I'll go to college basketball. Okay. okay. We're gonna go UCLA at Maryland. Now, this is an interesting game. I, I don't really know much about either team. Like, I haven't sat down and watched a full game of these teams, but they're both ranked, and it's going to be a fun game to watch. Future Big Ten rivalry game. Yeah, That's exa right. exactly. So, in Maryland, it's 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 going to be a good watch because we play Maryland pretty soon. I think we play them on January, January 5th. 5th, so that's right around the corner. Uh, it'll be here before you know it. So, this is a game uh, where UCLA ranked 16 and Maryland 20. It's at Maryland. I like Maryland in this game. They're favored by two points. I'm going to take them just to win the game at this point. It's good odds. Uh, I believe it's at minus 145, so not the greatest odds, but I, I like them in this game. Uh, check that. It's 128 on FanDuel, minus 128. So I like Maryland to win this game. I think they're a, very, I think they're a good defensive unit, and they have four guys that average 12 or more points per game, uh, which is pretty outstanding. So... Uh, I, I think they're going to win this game. It's going to be led by defense. I think UCLA coming into this game as the better ranked will will lose. They're both 8-2, so one of them has to lose, folks. I think Maryland gets the win. They've been great all year, um, and I think they're going to be a legitimate team when they roll into town on January 5th. That's going to be a big no, game. No, yeah, no, it is. Considering it's the only time we play them this, as well. That's, that's, that's big. We don't play them on the road this year. Yeah. So this is the only opportunity we have to beat them So when on uh, January 5th. So... Um, and that game is following Purdue in West yeah, Lafayette. Exactly, and that's always a tough one. And, oh yeah, oh yeah, it's and hard. If I if it goes the way I think it'll go, it'll be a Zach Eady twenty point 
12 15 rebound game where we lose by 10 plus and yeah. so it'll be a tough game to bounce back from but I'll take Maryland winning this game versus UCLA tonight I think Johnny Jujang who's been a sensation all these last couple of years I think uh-huh. I think it, they'll go into a tough environment in Maryland against a tough Maryland defense and they'll lose tonight so I'm going to go Maryland money line Here's the deal All right back, back in, in 19 19- shut up <laughs> shut up He's a twerp Yeah he is a twerp you're right I still like you though pal Oh that's okay just, just be quiet for about for like five minutes, okay? Five minutes. That's right. What, what, what is Max Sanchez? The paparazzi over here is filming me now. I gotta get this. All right, on fine. camera. Back in 1994, Mark Messier of the New York Rangers in Game Six of the Eastern Conference Finals guaranteed a Game Six victory. Here's the catch: Devils, Rangers, Eastern Conference Finals. Devils lead the series three to two. They gotta go to the Rock. Mark Messier says, I guarantee we're going to win game six. What happened? They won game six. 3-3 three, three series. He won three, they won 3-2. to two. He scored a hat trick. They, won, the, they uh, won that game. They forced game seven. Here's game seven back at the Garden. Stefan Matteau, overtime hero. Matteau, Matteau, Matteau. The Rangers go to the final. Stanley Cup final, Vancouver, New York. Vancouver loses to the Rangers. The Rangers win seven. Sam Rosen said, this will last a lifetime. It has because they have not won since, and it's going to stay like that for a long period of time. Sorry, Jake. But here's the deal. I guarantee, and so, and also so, so, sorry to John Hornet, poor guy. I guarantee, like Mark Messier guaranteed in 1994, I guarantee Rutgers men's basketball this weekend against Wake Forest is going to smell the coffee, ring the bells, get their act back together, and they're going to beat Wake Forest by at least double digits. I thought you were going to have a new lock tonight. This was last night's. That was mine on Monday, too. <laughs> time. He's staying consistent. You know, that's, that's, that's how you know time, he thinks it's going to be. Okay, well, minute I'm, I'm, I'm re- then I'm really betting that they do indeed. That's how you know. That's how you know a man thinks his bet is going to work out if right. he's willing to say it three times. That's right. And not just I'm, three times. Maybe, I'm, I'm ma- just ma- ma- maybe four or five Friday. times. Yeah, tomorrow and Friday. And he's not just saying it three times. He's Mark Messier guaranteeing I'm Mark Messier guaranteeing it three times. Absolutely. I'm just a little scared last time you picked Rutgers to win with a Mark Messier guarantee. We had the Seton Hall game. I'm betting you're. I'm betting it's gonna go in our favor this time. But I mean, if there's bad juju there, bad juju. Oh my god! <laughs> Isn't it voodoo? No, no, no. no J- Jake used that correctly. What are you, Juju Smith Schuster? <laughs> bad juju? Is that what you're telling me? It's but just, it's just another. It's just another way of saying bad mojo, bad luck. Bad All luck, right, yeah. fine. Bad mojo, bad garbage, whatever. Bad anyway, yeah, yeah. I guarantee, like Mark Messier guarantee, they're gonna in win by double in, in 1994. Not May, 95. May 25th, 1994. Not 95. Not at all. 94. Not 96. 94. Not 93. No. 94. 94. So the Devils right. lost to the Rangers that year. And funny fact, in 1995, the Devils won the cup. Yeah, there so you the go. Next, the, the next season, they won the Stanley Cup. But. I guarantee that's going to happen, and I guarantee, I guarantee, like Mark Messier guaranteed, <laughs> that's going to take place. I do, I do. I hope it's you're right. Happen. I really do. So by that so logic, this team needs a win. So by that logic, Rutgers is going to win the national championship this year, and Wake Forest is winning next year. That's right. <laughs> well, that's right. <laughs> okay, could be. I take Possibly. it. Possibly. I'm. I'm. That I'm, would I'm be phenomenal. That would be phenomenal if that happens. Praise the Lord, but I don't know. We, we Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. All I know is that I just got to be me. Like Sammy Davis Jr. said, I got to be me. I got to be me. That's all I got to do. How long did you have that queued up for? About 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> not bad, eh? Not a bad transition. Calm I'll take class act. I try. With that, we'll take a break. When we come back, can we just talk on 88.7 WRSU, FM New Brunswick, also online. At WRSU.org, almost done with hour one on this Wednesday crew. Can we just talk here on a Tuesday, on a Wednesday? I'm used to being here on Tuesdays. My Yo bad. Yo, All right, yeah. Wednesday. 
Eddie Kalegi, Dylan Allen, Alex Carminati, Max Sanchez, Jake Maystell. You're listening to the WRSU crew. Now, I have something to talk about. Now, if you get to know me well, you'll get to know that I get wildly into Christmas music literally as soon as Mariah Carey defrosts on November 1st. I, I, I start listening to Christmas music, and I'm a huge Christmas music fan. Wait, oh, you want to run oh, that one by me again? <laughs> When Mariah Carey defrosts on November 1st, she always puts a video on Twitter where she's like in a witch costume and then all of a sudden at midnight on November 1st, she turns into like Nobody snow. beats Nat King I think, Cole, I think baby. she should stay in the witch costume. I do agree with that. Nat Nobody King Cole. Underrated. Oh, uh, very, underrated. Very, underrated. very underrated. Very underrated. Now, there was one Christmas song I was listening to that I was, I, I think I mentioned this to a couple of you, because I, I like listening to Christmas music and I started listening to some of the lyrics and now I'm starting to realize that there's a crime that's committed in a song. And it's the song, We Wish You a Merry Christmas. So, if you listen to the lyrics, I know this is from the Bing Crosby version, and I assume the other versions have the same lyrics. It starts with, we wish you a Merry Christmas, we wish you a Merry Christmas, and a Happy New Year. Okay. Then, the next part is, now bring us some figgy pudding, bring us some figgy pudding, and bring it right here. Now, I don't know what figgy pudding is. To me, that just sounds kind of disgusting. And now they're, like, demanding from the person that they bring them some figgy pudding. And then it gets really bad right after that. And Dylan is showing me warm, sticky figgy pudding. Lovely. <laughs> um, but then it gets even worse because then the next set of lines in the verse is uh, we won't go until we get, got some we won't go until we got some so bring it out here so suddenly right. now these people are trespassing they show up at this person's house to wish them Merry Christmas and Happy New Year then they ask them for food and they refuse to leave that's until just, they bring them food th- it's just in the spirit of Santa Claus that's what he does every Christmas Eve right there's no reference to Santa on this this is just no, some random person showing up asking for figgy pudding and demand food well, yeah, but that's... So it's Santa's more... a fraud and a criminal. There well, you go. Oh, my God. Okay, no. This is... <laughs> his is globally accepted that you're going to give him the food. That's considered the trade-off. These people, we don't know that they're bringing anything. All they're doing is showing up, they're bringing their holiday greetings, and they're expecting people to hand them food. No, no, you give them food, and they wish you a Merry Christmas but they're and wishing, a Happy New Year. But they wish you Merry Christmas first. They don't tell you that they want the food. They just say, we wish you Merry Christmas. Sounds By the, the way, bring me some figgy pudding. <laughs> It sounds like the government. That's what it sounds like. It sounds see, exactly like the see, government. I don't. I don't really see what the issue is. I feel like food and presents kind of go together. There's no presents here. All it is is, I, 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 hi, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. Give me food, and I'm not leaving until you give me food. It, that, that's that's what I do on Thanksgiving. I go to my I go to my family's house and be like, Happy Thanksgiving. Give me food. Well, so I, I assume you're a welcome guest though when you go. You're you're you don't just show up. I like at a stranger's house. Say happy Thanksgiving. Give me turkey, Eddie. Let me ask you this: No, I don't do that. (laughs) If I showed up at your door on Thanksgiving or Christmas, would I? And I asked for food. Would you let me in? Probably not. Long pause. (laughs) No, you wouldn't let me in. Well, first of all, you said dorm. I don't even. I'm not. I'm commuting. So I say dorm. I said door. Oh, I thought you said dorm. Oh, I, That's a, I could not tell D-O-R. from the accent. Okay, door. Did you just show door. up at my door and ask me for yeah. food? I, I don't know. Exactly, I, a door. I, I need more context. D-O-R, door. Right, but it's that. not, don't worry, it's not just because it's you. Yeah, right. <laughs> All right. What I about me, Eddie? If, if I it, showed up at your see, house for see, Thanksgiving and was like, hey, can I have If you food? showed up uninvited, it would be awkward, and it wouldn't just be because it's Carm. If it was Jake Maystel, it would be the same deal. If it was Max Sanchez, it would be the same deal. If I'd be like, I why came, are you showing up at my house randomly <laughs> asking me for food? If I came but to your house. But how about this? If I came, uh, <laughs> asked for food, but I, bought a, but I brought a bottle of wine, how does that sound? Well, okay. If you brought, I let you in, Carmen. Yeah. Oh, thank you. You know, what, you know what? You know what? If you prove to be a good host in that, well, not a good host. You know, a good guest, yeah, and yeah. you bring something, then yeah. Oh, thank you. Yes, there has to be a fair trade-off, and that's my bone to pick with this song. You just are wishing them a holiday greeting and demanding food and refusing to leave that's their fair. place of residence until you get the food. Well, you know what? Well, you know what? And that's the first time I picked up on this with Bing Crosby. I don't know. Maybe maybe Bing Crosby was a little out there. I don't know. <laughs> I do like Bing Crosby Christmas. Yeah, it's good. But I'm more of a Dino, Dean Martin, Frank Sinatra, more of them, or An- Andy Williams especially. What about the Grinch? The Grinch. You're Can't, a mean one, Mr. Grinch. No, I'm, no, the Grinch. The Grinch is awful. I can't stand the Grinch. Hey, Thirty-nine how, and a half. How dare you Paul? talk about me like that? <laughs> well, there you go. I just described Jake Mastel. What can I tell you? Anyway, no, the Grinch. Look, it's a great story. It's a lovely tale. What have you? But the Grinch, that's like Scrooge. Who wants to be the Grinch? Who wants to be Scrooge? 
You must be a miserable person if you want to be both the Grinch or and or Scrooge. But at the end, the Grinch's heart grew three sizes. And so did Scrooge's, fair enough. Yeah. But at the same time, to just go through all that wear and tear and all of a sudden be happy. and No, no, it, it's Christmas, you fool. What's wrong with you? Just be happy. It's a great time. It's the best time of the year. Wanted- it's the most wonderful time of the year. See, I, I don't Andy think, Williams. I don't think right. the Grinch was necessarily wrong. He just wanted to steal Christmas and hog it off for himself. That was his idea of no, wanting to be happy. That's greed. It's greedy. It's greedy. But you know what? He didn't have anybody else. Once no, he, he finally met other he people and got to know Not this them. Max. Max the dog. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I forgot. Yeah, I saw the movie. <laughs> and, 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 I know a lot of dogs. Okay, okay, okay that's the, a dog. That's not a person. <laughs> he could have had Max Sencha somewhere. I don't know. Maybe, you know, maybe a long-lost Wait, friend. Uh, I have no Ma- idea. Max, were you living down in Whoville the entire time? Nobody noticed? Nah, I'm from, uh, I was out in Raleigh, New Jersey, a place no one's oh, ever okay. heard of. Close enough to Whoville. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. Who? Where? <laughs> You know what's also a good Christmas song? Yeah. Alvin and the Chipmunks. No, it's annoying. Ooh. What do you mean? How is that annoying? Them. I can't stand those little chipmunks. They're so They're funny. They're so annoying. <laughs> what? Alvin? <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's that was, scary that you actually That was pretty that. accurate. It was. Okay, what was okay, it? Alvin? Okay. Alvin, Alvin Theodore, Simon, and Chester Simon. or whatever? Right? <laughs> 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 Alvin, Theodore. Michael, and Theodore. No! No! Michael? You're wrong. You're wrong. It's Alvin, Simon, Simon. Theodore. That's what I See? said. See? Someone said Michael. Jake said Michael. Michael. I, Michael. I, you know what? I, I knew there Michael. was an I in there. I knew there was an I in there. confidently, too. See? I knew there was an I in there. He and I have no idea what the hell we're talking about. He's like, Chester. Okay, okay. You know what? I haven't even really thought about these chipmunks since I was like, Seven years old, which honestly I'm pretty happy about. He so. and I have no idea what the hell we're talking about. I knew, I knew oh Alvin goodness. Theodore. I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. How about that? At I least you know, know Alvin. I do know Alvin. Well, of course, Alvin. Who doesn't know Alvin? There's, you never know. Alvin. Little brat. I can't stand Alvin. <laughs> Little brat. You said you don't even know the chipmunks, and now you hate one of them because. <laughs> no, I, I, I know of them. The guy was a little, little twerp, but. <laughs> well, you know, yeah, that was the whole point. Yeah, I know exactly. And the guy who was watching over them was worse, I think, right? What, Dave? What, yeah, yeah. What, wasn't he a jerk or something like that? No, no he, he was, was just, pretty cool. He, he, who he am I thinking of? He was abused by the chipmunks, basically, the oh, whole time. Is that what it, well, well, again, there you go. Yeah, did, did, guys, did, did you guys ever watch those live-action Elvin chipmunk movies? No, that was That's scary. what I was talking about. Yes. That's 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 what I was like The first one and the squeakle? Dave. Did, yeah. But did you ever watch the third one? Chipwreck. No. Yeah, that's when they were stranded on the island. <laughs> oh my right? goodness. One that's of my, the dumbest one, one of my for friends a movie who goes to I've Miami, he dressed life. up as Simon in Chipwrecked. That was his Halloween costume. All I saw was the first one years ago. I don't even re- remember most of the story. Also, but Dave. Dave, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Poor Dave Palumbo. What do you know? <laughs> <laughs> also, I just want to say, Chipwreck might be the worst movie title ever, but The Squeakle is like one of the best. So. I know. That's, <laughs> that's so creative. It is. Look. Christmas is the greatest time of the year. I love Christmas. It's a beautiful holiday. It's the greatest holiday there is. I love it very much. And you know what? Before we close that, off that with hour sound two, like huh? No, that doesn't sound like Halloween. Halloween's awful. Oh, I can't stand Halloween. I love it. Hollow? No, 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 no. I like them both. Christmas over Halloween. I, I, yeah. I, I think, I think, I think Halloween should last for two months. <laughs> Then we all be as fat and as big as Santa Claus. You kidding me? <laughs> oh my gosh! But with that, I think we'll step aside, and we'll step aside as it's the most wonderful time of the year. That's all I know. Andy Williams. Andy Williams. That's who it is. That was my grandmother's favorite singer too. Yeah, it's, it's the most nose. wonderful time of the year. I want to hear Andy Williams, not Alex Carm singing. Why not? Anyway, we'll step aside. Hour one done. Hour two coming up next. Wednesday crew on 88.7 WRSU FM New Brunswick. Also online at WRSU.org. <laughs>